Second Kings chapter 6, if you can find that. You ever been on edge? Hmm. That word edge is used in many different forms, in many different ways to describe many different objects or actions. For instance, I'm sure all of us at one time or another have kind of been on edge. You say, what do you mean have been? (laughs) Were you ever really excited about something and you're right on the edge of your seat? Hmm? Did you ever start your day just a little edgy? And look up here, look up here, don't look at your spouse. Okay. <laughs> Do you know David Howell Evans? Of the rock band U2? You haven't been around if you don't. He's known as the Edge, or simply Edge. Did you ever hear or read the nation's most... Uh, most noted radio talk show host as he describes being on the cutting edge of societal evolution. And did you know that the newest 2018 luxury cruise ship by Celebrity Lines is called Celebrity Edge? So here we are today and we're living on the edge. If you're watching the news, If you're listening to World Affairs, if you are interested at all in what's going on on the globe, you know we're living on the edge. Some people say it's scary. Some people say it's terrifying. Uh, I'm sorry if you feel that way. It's exciting. It is really exciting. You see, we've read the end of the book and we know we win. Not we, America. We believers. Yeah. So... There's nothing to fear but fear itself. That was said many years ago. So it's not uh, an original saying, but it's still true. But I find in my life day by day, as I go through each week, that a lot of people seem to be on the edge. And there is a, and let me add something here in the spiritual dimension. There is a cutting edge to living the Christian life to the fullest. I I shouldn't say I've discovered that lately, but I've really thought a lot about that lately. And it brings me to 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'd like us to read this. We can read it together. I always love it when you join in and read with me. That's one of the reasons I love having the uh, the scripture uh, on the screen in front of you, so that you can join right in. It's not a one-man show. If you feel comfortable with that, I'm going to start right there at verse 1. We're going to read the first seven verses. 2 Kings chapter 6. The company of the prophets said to Elisha. I'm going to stop there. We're going to talk a little bit this morning about Elisha. Okay? That's not Elijah. It's Elisha. And those are two different men. And so the prophet said to him, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. All right? Let us go to the Jordan, that's to the Jordan River, where each of us can get a pole, some timber in other words, and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he, Elisha, said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, I will. 
and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Normally, does iron float? No. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand. Say it. Thank you. This event took place a long time ago before some of you were born, almost 3,000 years ago. You're going to go home and try to work that one out, aren't you? In, sometime in the 8th century B.C. And there are a lot of people in this story, but there are two main characters. First, there's an unnamed prophet student. Let's just call him a seminary student. And then there's the prophet Elisha. These, these uh, prophet students always trained under prophets and learn from them. Now, you might remember that Elisha is the one who had been Elijah's student some years before that. And uh, if you go back to chapter 2, you can read that in 2 Kings. But when Elijah was taken away to heaven by a whirlwind, accompanied by a chariot and horses of fire, Elisha became God's chosen successor to Elijah. And God richly blessed Elisha's ministry, giving him a double portion of the power of Elijah, in other words, a double portion of the Holy Spirit. Now, Elisha's prophetic ministry lasted somewhere in the, in the range of 50 years, and it was characterized by many exciting miracles. The text that uh, we've just read in 2 Kings chapter 6 begins by telling us a problem that the young seminary students under Elisha had. The building, or the area where they were studying, uh, where they were regularly meeting for the prophet to teach them God's ways, just seemed to be too small. So the students asked permission of their trusted leader uh, to go to the area of the Jordan River. And this was an area where there were many trees, obviously, so they could build a larger place to live. That would seem like a logical request. And the plan was for each student to cut one beam of wood, each for the building expansion. So this was a group effort. And it was going to be something that they all could take part in and take pride in. This was the, I think this was the first college dormitory that the Bible speaks of. I really do. I think this is the first college dormitory that the Bible speaks of. Thank you. The prophet Elisha said, that sounds like a good idea. Just go. Go do it. And in the text, you can see there was mutual trust. For Elisha thought, hey, these students are mature enough to engineer the building of a new place to live in and to study. Let them go. They came up with that idea. Great. They see the need. Great. They're willing to work at it. Great. So not wanting, though, to be without their trusted teacher, one of the young seminary students said to Elisha, won't you please come with us? So Elisha and his young students headed to the Jordan River to build a new college campus. 
And when they arrived, they immediately began to work on cutting down trees. Each student was doing his part. And when one of the young students was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head flew off the handle of the axe he had borrowed, and it fell into the Jordan River, sinking straight down to the bottom of the flowing water. Did you ever lose something in that kind of a body of water? And you looked down and you saw it go, Bonk! and then you watched it do this. And you knew it was heading to the bottom, never to be seen again. How many have ever done something like that? Like that big fish that got away. Yeah, yeah, right. Fish grow most once they're out of the water, you know. So anyway, so the young student lost his axe head. He lost his cutting edge. He lost his effectiveness in doing his part of the work. I'm going to say all that again because it's extremely important to what we're going to hear this morning. The young student lost the axe head. With it, he lost his cutting edge. And with that, he lost his effectiveness in doing his part of the work. So I'm presenting to you, keep the cutting edge. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Keep the cutting edge. As I look around this morning, I can confidently say that each of you has been successful in your respective choices of career or work or whatever. I don't know all of you. I don't know all of your history, but I'm going to make that blanket statement and congratulate you for that. And if you've also done work for the Lord, you can be assured of this, that there's no greater work in all the world than building up the kingdom of God. Nothing supersedes it. But have you ever lost your cutting edge in the service of the Lord and in the building of the kingdom? Have you ever lost your effectiveness in doing God's work? Were you at one time in your life working with great strength and vigor and the chips were flying in all directions, knocking down tree after tree and building up the kingdom of God. And man, you were just making headway and you were ex- as excited as could be. And you just had that, that, that special feeling about helping build the kingdom of God. How many of you have, have remember those days? And how many of you remember that those were good days and days that, well, you could really, really remember? And you know, you were really effective. Well, I brought, I brought something here that will show you exactly what you had at one time. Because this is, the, this is the axe that that young student used. I got it from a Bible museum. And... <laughs> See, now you're laughing. I can stand here all day long and tell the best jokes the world's ever heard, and you'd sit there like you were weaned on a pickle and baptized in lemon juice. But if I say one thing derogatory to myself, you'll laugh till the cows come home. So laugh on, laugh on. I'm doing the talking. So laugh on, okay? So this is an old axe. It's older than most anybody in here. And uh, you know what? If you go out there today and start whacking at something and you lose the edge off this axe, it won't be long before you're going to lose more than the edge. You'll lose the axe head. Because those things are known to not want to stay on. And you've got, this one's already got a wedge of something in there. And, and you, you try to keep it tight and you check it every once in a while. And it's really important to do. And uh, I used to be able to swing one of these. How many of you would like to see that? 
Well, I'll get the movie. It's, I can't do it today. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm not going to uh, illustrate the axe head falling off because I have no earthly idea who it's going to fall on. Okay? So, uh, but I want to make a, a graphic illustration here, and I want you to remember this. And, and you're going to go home, and someone's going to say, what was the sermon about? And you say, I have no earthly idea. You just tried to be funny and wasn't. But you're going to remember that he had this axe. And you're going to remember that an axe isn't a whole lot of good without a cutting edge. You, I think it was Spurgeon who said, you can cut wood with a dull axe, but you can cut it a lot better with a sharp one. So you need some sort of a, of, a, of a cutting edge to make it really work. But if that whole unit is gone and all you've got left is that piece of wood, you're not going to cut through a whole lot. Keep that in mind as we continue with the story. Because that's pertinent. If we've lost our cutting edge for the Lord, we need to ask God to help us get it back. You might be sitting here today saying, you know, a few minutes ago you were talking about when I was red hot for the Lord and I was excited about the kingdom of God and I couldn't do anything without thinking about how does this fit in to the building of the kingdom and I was second and God was first and there was no question about it and it was straight ahead all the way. And then uh, now you mentioned this this morning, Pastor Bob, and I realized, man, I'm not where I was. I, I, I don't have that, that, that red-hot fervor that I had. I don't have that excitement of serving God. Well, I want to tell you first off, there are a couple of things that I believe this passage of Scripture will teach us that would help us to get back our cutting edge and to keep that cutting edge. So that's what we're interested in, helping. We need help to get back and help to keep the cutting edge. So if you need to get back, this will help you. If you have the cutting edge, this will help you keep the cutting edge. First thing that I, the first thing that I see, just like that young seminary student in our text, first thing, we must admit that we've lost our cutting edge. Now, there's no crime, there's no shame, there's no sin to admitting that. That's fine. See, the first step the young student had to take was to admit he no longer had a cutting edge. Why? For it had slipped off the axe handle, and it flew into the Jordan River, and it sank to the bottom of the, of the, of the stream, of, of the current. See, he was busy doing important work for God, but suddenly he was no longer effective doing it. You see, to admit that we have a problem is the first and often the most difficult step in repairing anything in our life. To admit that we have a problem and own it is the first step and often the most difficult one. His cutting edge now is at the bottom of the Jordan River. Where's yours today? Well, you see, Bob, I, I, I'm so tied up with, with uh, this and with that and with a hundred other things. Uh, you wouldn't understand, of course, but life is so busy. Things are so hectic. I got so much on my mind 
I think, yeah, I, I probably have lost my cutting edge, but you know, someday, 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 and then someday never comes. Now we see examples all around us that where admitting one has a problem is the very, it's the first step in the healing process. I mean, the first step in the AA program or Al-Anon or all the other 12-step spinoffs is to admit that you have a problem. You go nowhere until you've got that settled. And not just give it lip service, but understand that you must admit that. The young student could have reacted in other ways instead of admitting he had a problem. You know, this young fellow, I thought of this. And I thought, he could have just been happy that he lost the accent. Whoop! Whoops. <laughs> he could have used that as, a, as an excuse to stop working on this project altogether, or we're, as we're using the analogy, to stop working for God altogether. Huh? He could have found a nice, cool shade tree, poured himself a glass of iced tea, and just watched his fellow students do all the work. Hey, why? how come you... Well, I lost my axe head. I don't have an axe now. Huh? Huh? On the other hand, he could have refused to admit that he lost the axe head. He could have said, what problem? I don't have a problem. What problem are you talking about? I don't have a problem. And he could have just kept swinging the wooden stick without the iron axe head mounted on the end and just going through the motions of cutting down trees, making a whole lot of noise, but accomplishing absolutely nothing. Hello? And did you catch the part where the young student said, Oh, my Lord, and that's a small L. He's talking to Elisha. He said, Oh, my Lord, or my master, or my teacher. That axe was what? Huh? Borrowed. Let's all say that word together because this is so pertinent to the story. There is no story without it. He said, that axe head, that axe was what? Borrowed. Borrowed. Say, why is that so important? I'm so glad you asked. Iron axes were very rare in the 8th century B.C., not to mention, if you found one, it would probably be very expensive. And this man was a young seminary student and no doubt had very little money, if any. And so buying something like that would have just been like a luxury, which he wouldn't have time nor money for. So if someone had not loaned him that axe, he would not have been able to work. Ah. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing something here. I'm, I'm, the, the light's coming on for me. I'm, 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 I'm seeing something, and it's, it's a laser beam that's coming to me. I, 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 I just have to share this with you. Have, have you ever considered the fact that all of our abilities, all of our resources, and all of our talents are borrowed
At best, they're on loan. At best, they're on loan to us from God. So remember, God has not given us permission to stop working for Him until we re- enter His rest in heaven. If you're not dead, you're not done. That's translated from the Latin. I'm sorry. If we've lost our cutting edge for the Lord and doing his work, the first thing we should do is admit that we have a problem. And until that young student admitted that and owned up to it and owned it and said, hmm, mea culpa, I'm the one, and whoa, my heart sinks along with it because that wasn't mine, that's borrowed. Just like all of your abilities and all of your resources and all of your talents and everything you've got that you say is part of you, I've got to tell you something, those are all borrowed. At best, they're on loan to you from God, listen, to be used to build his kingdom. The second thing, just like the young seminary student that we can learn here, is we need to determine the exact spot where we lost our cutting edge. Have you ever had a problem with misplacing things? (laughs) Can't say losing because it's not lost until it's totally gone, never to be seen by human eyes again. But have you ever had a problem, even just, I know if it's yours, it's minor, Everybody else's is major. But have you ever had a minor problem of misplacing things? Anybody here want to admit? Because that's the first way. I'm going to help you get over this. This is the first step in your program. Okay. Okay. I mean, have you ever walked around somewhere, maybe in your house, maybe here at the church with your car keys in your hand and said, Have anybody seen my car keys? Have you ever walked around in your office or your business or, you know, wherever you work and you got your, your glasses up on your head? I've never have been able to figure that one out. Say, I can't find my glasses. Has anybody seen them? Nobody here has ever done that, I know. I'm just telling you this in case you meet those crazy people at work and you, it happens to them. That's all. Huh? I mean, a lot of times over the years here at Faith Community, I know people have lost their car keys, lost, and they get frantic about that. And, and they're, they're looking for the keys here and there, and they go back out to the car, they come back into the building, they go back out to the car, they come back into the building, and then, you know, the, then they think, well, I've got to get home, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to go to Walmart, of course, and I hear, man, this is, this is, this is big, See, when I hear somebody losing car keys, one of the first things I ask them, well, I tell them something first, and I ask them, I said, settle down. Then I say, do you remember where you were when you last had them? And that could be quite an experience in itself. (laughs) But somebody has to ask the question. You say, that's funny. Well, it isn't funny because if you watch your text very carefully, that's pretty much what Elisha asked the young student. He said, so tell me, where did it go? Where did you drop it? Doesn't that sound a little strange to you? 
Elisha wasn't up at the riverbank. He was kind of probably doing other things. The young student is wailing away. The axe head comes off. It goes into the river. He blurts out. He hollers for Elisha. Elisha comes and says, what's the problem? He admits it. He tells it. And then Elisha said, well, where did you, where did you lose it? As he watches the Jordan River go by. Where did you lose it? Where did it fall? Where did it leave you? Now, I think we all know from personal experience that if we can get our head wrapped around this and we can kind of get our thoughts in sequence and back up a little bit, a really good way to find something is to try to remember where you had it last. You say, well, if you have no memory, what does that do? (laughs) Nothing. So you can take my word for it, those keys are lost. (laughs) So the young student didn't plan to lose his cutting edge. It just happened. He was working. He was was engaged. He was part of this program. He wanted to have a piece of it. And isn't isn't that the way it is with us? Hmm. Now... It's getting quiet in here. I don't know where, I don't know where. But it seems on this Christian trek, somewhere along the road, we just have the, the, the tendency to lose our contributions and our enthusiasm for the building up of God's kingdom. And just like that young student in the text in 2 Kings 6, we don't plan for this to happen. I've talked to all kinds of people over the years who said, I didn't plan for it to go this way. This was not my intention. I would never have written it this way, and I would never have thought I'd be here right now. But I am in my life. Matter of fact, something similar happened to the Apostle Peter. He'd go over to the New Testament. Recall how Peter said this to Jesus? He said, Jesus, though everyone else at times stops serving you, Lord, not me. I will never stop. Hmm. Then one day, even faithful Peter denied his Lord Jesus, not once and not twice, but three times. And then the cock crowed. Folks, if if you ever get to the point where you've lost your cutting edge doing God's work, you need to remember that your cutting edge was left right where you had it last. Listen to me. If you feel far from God, guess who moved? Maybe we need to ask some other questions too, like why did we lose our cutting edge with the Lord even in the pursuit of doing his work to build the kingdom? It could be one of many reasons, and these aren't just excuses. Was it because I dropped out of a certain area of serving God, thinking that, ah, that area right there, they can get by without me, and that really isn't the most important area, maybe not even really all that important anyway. If we rationalize long enough, we can talk ourselves into almost anything. Or was it because I stopped attending worship service on any kind of regular basis? 
I mean, we here at Faith Community are really open about this. We know that people have lives. We know they have schedules. We know they have commitments. We know they have all kinds of responsibilities. And so if they don't make, somebody doesn't make it every Sunday, 53 weeks a year, we don't stand at the door and beat on them. We understand that. But we also understand that pretty near every family in this church has a regu- what we call a regular basis for attendance. But maybe you had one and now you've stopped using it or you've just stopped attending on any kind of regular basis. Uh, or maybe, maybe, maybe it's because you became angry with somebody or you became jealous of someone else or <clears throat> someone else got asked to do this or that or go here or there or be part of this or something else. And you know that you're the one that should be doing it and they overlooked you and left you out for whatever reason you, have no, you don't know, no idea. And so you, it's a whole lot easier, you see, to carry that around because that's your excuse. And you can just stay away from doing. I've t- got to tell you something. I, 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 I'm coming up on 44 years in the pastorate. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I have to do the math here. I was saved over 60 years ago. <laughs> And as far as I can tell, I've been in the church in one setting or another, starting with my parents for many years, from the time I was four years old. And so I've watched it all. I've seen all, I've seen the, the, I've seen the major events like the big fights. I've seen the little fights. I've seen the infighting, the outfighting, the community getting involved, not involved. Let me tell you something. I don't think there is a place other than in the body of believers, I'm not even going to just indict the church as a whole, but where there's so much pettiness. Well, he said that they said that she was going, and I, and so I don't go there anymore, and I don't speak to him anymore, and she, and no, we don't speak anymore, and we're not, we were friends, but we're not, what? What? What did I miss? What? And all that's going on while the axe head is floating down the Jordan River. People, that's why Paul said you need to grow up in Christ. We need to mature. Have you, maybe you lost your cutting edge because you stopped praying. Maybe you're not a prayer warrior like you used to be. Maybe you're not reading the Word of God anymore. Maybe you're not even delving into the Word. Maybe you're not taking Second Kings 6 home today and looking it up and see, is that Pete Pastor know what he's talking about? Did it really happen that way? And uh, all those things he added, were they, did they make sense? And is that part of it? Or you just say, yep, I heard that. It must be true. Or maybe did you lose your cutting edge because some personal sin has or had entangled your life? You you can say and you can claim to be helping in the work of the kingdom of God, but if you are besieged by some personal sin, private or public, that that is tearing you down on the inside, your work for the kingdom of God is of no effect. Or maybe you lost your cutting edge for God because you've been given, uh, giving him, you haven't been giving him any portion of your talent or, or, or of your time or of your resources. You're just floating along. 
Now, if you have the courage to take a deep, serious look at your personal spiritual life, you can discover where and you can discover why you lost your cutting edge of service to the Lord. See, when the young seminary student lost his cutting edge, first he had the courage to do what? To admit the fact that he lost the cutting edge, the axe head. And he didn't have the axe head anymore. He didn't, not only just didn't have a cutting edge, he didn't even have an axe head. <laughs> he had a piece of wood. He has a stick. That's what he had. Hmm. I want to give him a lot of credit. He didn't even hesitate. I mean, that whole story is told in seven verses. He admitted it. He fessed up. He owned it. It was his. Then, secondly, he determined the exact place where he lost it. Elisha said, where did, it, where did it go? Where did you drop it? He said, right here. Now, here's the third thing he did, and we must do it too. He did his part in recovering his cutting edge. Just read that. Let it sink in for a moment. Elisha was no magician. He was a chosen prophet of Almighty God. The power that he had to perform miracles wasn't his own power. It was the power of God. And it was power from God. Therefore, the miracle on the part of Elisha was not... It not only shows us that Elisha was concerned about the young student's problem, and he was, but much more importantly, this miracle shows me that God was deeply concerned... And I think this miracle clearly illustrates some basic truths about our God. First, God is deeply concerned with you as an individual. I said God is deeply concerned with you, with you, with you, with you as an individual. There was an entire company of young prophet students. They were all cutting trees that day. Isn't that interesting? Yet God took the time to help the one who had a problem. I, I, I see a great truth here. here. Here, my friend, listen. Write this one down somewhere. Write it down in your notebook. Put it in your, uh, your, your, uh, your little device there, your computer, your phone, wherever. You, you know, if you have a pen, write it on your hand. Write it on the back of the per person's shirt that's sitting in front of you. Whoever. Write it down somewhere. God is deeply concerned with the individual. We see that in Jesus' teaching. In one chapter of Scripture, Luke 15, he tells about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. <laughs> Pretty interested in the one, isn't he? Huh? You see, you and I are very valuable to God. How would you like to say that with me? You and I are very valuable to God. You're getting it. Let's try it again. You and I are very valuable to God. Now turn to someone else and say that. You and I are very valuable to God. It's true. It's true. We are so valuable to God that he said, listen to this, that he created us in his own image. Here's another truth that we gain from this as we learn about God. That with God, there are no problems too small to bring to his attention. 
First Peter 5, 7 says it. It still says it. It's always said it. It's always going to say it. It's in the book. It's one of the greatest verses of all. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. What do you think all means in that verse? How would you translate all? I would too. All. Cast all your care. See, we're so tough today. We're so, such rugged individuals. We're, we're, we just believe in this thing of, man, I can make it. I'm just going to suck it up. I, I, I can do it. I've got a lot of muscle, and I'm going to exert my power. I can make it. I don't need anybody else. I can make it. And that would be fun or funny, except we even think that when it comes to God dealing with us. Why don't we just cast all our care upon him in the first place and let him handle everything? Because he cares for us. Do you have a problem today? I can't believe in a crowd this size, somebody doesn't have some sort of concern. We all carry something. Have you cast that problem or that concern on God? You might be looking at 2 Kings chapter 6 and say, well, Bob, why is this trivial problem even included in the Scripture? I mean, it's kind of a, isn't it a trivial little story, really? No, it isn't. And you stay with me, I can prove it, because it's there to show us this, that God is concerned also for the little things of life. God doesn't perform miracles for kicks or just for fun. He saw a genuine need and he saw a reason to step in and meet the need. I believe as the prophet picked up the axe head, he would be moved. Not just that the axe swam up, but that God would even help him in such a trivial matter. That may be exactly how we felt when reading it. It's so small a matter. It's, you say, is it necessary to have this in holy writ? Does it really need to be here? God is concerned about our needs. Can I overemphasize that? Even little needs like this, and if it takes a miracle to solve it, God can do it. And by the way, it may not have been a little thing, because the person who loaned that axe to that young student may have said, if you lose that or do anything, I will kill you. <laughs> I've had books out of my library that I wish I had said that. <laughs> There'd be a lot of bodies around because not only do you not get them back, you have no earthly idea where they ended up. You say, well, I, uh, God's concerned about big things. Absolutely. Does anybody here have a problem understanding that? God is really concerned about the big things? Of course he is. But then we just kind of eliminate from our thinking the fact that he's also very, very, very interested in the little things, the mundane, the trivial, the things that we might think are not important to him. If you want to read about the kings and you want to read about the kingdoms and you want to read about international politics and you want to learn about foreign relations and national crises, go back into the books of Samuel and read both of the books of kings. It's all right there. It's all you need. You don't need a history book. Just read there and you'll, you will be a well-educated person. God is concerned about the affairs of the nations, no doubt about it. But in the midst of all this, God still takes care of the loss of an axe head. 
Don't equate God's greatness only with big things. He showed us that he cares for us. Everyday needs, ordinary problems, whatever the concerns are. He cares because we matter to him. Boy, I'm glad I matter to him. And that probably explains why Jesus said, <laughs> somebody thought, well, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Yeah, oh yeah, this, yeah, this is in the Bible. This is a direct quote. The hairs on your head are all numbered. Some of you are in deep trouble. <laughs> Come to think of it, I like to ponder scripture sometimes. I mean, just sit back and like, hmm. And I ask myself this question, why would anybody want to number their hair? Wow. Listen to me. He is the God of every minute detail. See, I can prove he knows way more than you do because you don't even know how many hair is on, on your head or ever were on your head or ever will be on your head or how many you came with or how many were supposed to be there. <laughs> Multiply that by how many billion? It's astounding, isn't it? So now here they are at the Jordan. They're going to face a problem, small problem, coming up at the Jordan, and, and Elisha's presence will make the difference. I, I want you to see, I'm not picking this apart just to make a point here, but I, I want you to see this. That One of those young students thought it necessary for Elisha to come along for this tree-felling event. Boy, that speaks volumes to me. That whatever part of the work of God that we're doing, we better make sure that God's coming along. Hmm? We do this, that, and the other thing on our own and think we can get by that way. But, you know, here's the truth. We can't. By God, you see, that was God's providence that the man of God went with the prophet students. And by the leading of God, Elisha said to the man who invited him over in verse 3, he said, then I will. Hmm. Look at this. God arranges the help before this man even knows that he has a need for it. Hello, are you there? You're so concerned about today's problem, you don't realize that he's already sent on the way the answer to the next problem that you face, and you don't even know what it is. That's the God we know. That's the God we serve. Amen? He knows what's to come, and he provides the solution ahead of time. And you say, how do you know that? Stay with me. I know it for sure because we've not come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Have you? Just say amen if you have. Amen. Don't be ashamed of him. He was the sacrificial lamb that was prepared for us when, ahead of time, 2,000 years ago, long before we even knew we had such a need. John Newton wrote this short poem. I love it. Not one concern of ours is small if we belong to him. To teach us this, the Lord of all once made the iron to swim. <laughs> love it, love it. Is there anything we need to worry about? Come to him. Pray, trust, wait. Now there's one little 
a snippet here that I have to add that I'm seeing a little bit too much of that we need to abandon the I don't have enough syndrome. <clears throat> I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I do this and that, but I just don't have enough time. Every one of us has seven days in every week, and every one of those days has 24 hours. Nobody has more time or less time. I don't have enough food. I don't have enough friends. If a man is to have friends, he must show himself friendly. That's what the writer of the Proverbs said. I don't have enough love. I don't have enough skills. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough popularity. I don't have enough confidence. Well, if you don't have all those things and all you're doing is whining about it, not much wonder you're not popular. And not much wonder you're not confident. Listen here, this may be the greatest thing you've ever heard if you're struggling with yourself right now. The God who gave us life knows full well what we do not have. And he is only interested in what we do with what we do have. Do you hear that? He is only interested in what we do with what we do have. And let's keep turning our attention to that truth and moving on for him. So a man losing an axe head may not seem like a big deal, but God thought it was. God not only cares about you and is concerned about your problems, but God will help you solve the problems. And that in turn will bring honor and glory and blessing and praise to God. It just comes back. It just goes around and comes back. God will cause the solution to float to the surface. Let's talk about what the young student did to get back his cutting edge. First, well, he didn't end up, he, he didn't end, his work wasn't over when he admitted he had a problem. And it didn't end when he sought help from the prophet Elisha. Because Elisha had the power. Listen, here's the power Elisha had. He had the spiritual power from God, the gift from God, to make that axe head come back to the top of the water. And if he'd wanted to see it happen, that axe head could have flown out of the water into the air, put itself back on the wooden handle, and started wailing away on a tree without the kid even holding on to it. (laughs) But he didn't do it. Why do you suppose Elisha didn't do it? Because God wanted the young man to be involved in his own recovery. Nobody's going to recover for you. God wanted him to reach out his hand and recover the axe head him, himself when it came to the surface. As a matter of fact, in what we read there, Elisha said to the student, lift it out. Yeah, I went over to the message the other day and I said, I wonder how the message, uh, 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 how it explains this. And I got down to that verse where Elisha said, there it is at the top, lift it out. And, and in the message it said, grab it. I love it. You know Why? Because he did. He did. Wow. Keep that in your mind. Be honest with yourself this morning. Take a serious look at your cutting edge in doing God's kingdom work. Have you adopted the motto of the world when it comes to the things of the church? The motto of the world these days seems to be, what can the church do for me? Isn't the church there to serve me? Just over 57 years ago, President John F. Kennedy 
spoke the 17 most inspiring words of the 20th century, giving the American public an unforgettable inauguration speech when he said, quote, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. End of quote. Today we're living in a culture, Mr. Kennedy, which has swung completely in the opposite direction. And it says, huh, what will government do for me? What's big government going to do for the people? What's in it for me? And I fear that far too many Christians look at the local church as a place to be served rather than a place to serve. And I'm so happy to hear what's happening in the care ministries and all the different aspects that we're opening up. And so many people are buying into that. And I don't mean buying in by shelling out shekels. I mean buying in with that whole concept that this is what we're to do as a church. Not so much being served as to serve and to be the cutting edge. Many Christians today look at the church and they'll come in and they'll, uh, these people say, well, I'm just shopping around. I'm just looking. You know, there's not much difference between shopping, matter of fact, only one letter, I think, and hopping. And what, what kind of programs do you have for me? What do you have for my family? Uh, if I like those programs, I'll be back. If not, I'm just going down the road. I can find a better church and I'll, I'll be, they'll serve me. My prayer continually is, Lord, help us get back into the saddle of personal service to you and hold on to our cutting edge. It's a great text. I'm glad it's in the Bible. How many of you were not familiar with this text, didn't really know the story, hadn't heard it before? I'm glad then, I'm glad. You know, this young student could have avoided all the problem if he'd only checked his axe head just occasionally. If he checked the axe head to see if it was firmly attached to the axe handle, he would have noticed that it was loose. He could have done a quick and easy fix and he'd not have lost any time doing his work. Can I leave with you this thought? We too need to check out our spiritual tools on a regular basis. Yep, right in the midst of doing the work of the kingdom building for God. And I'm just going to ask you the open question, when's the last time you did this? When you check out your spiritual inventory on a regular basis, you can make minor adjustments and tweaks and keep right on serving the Lord. Here's what the devil would prefer that you do. Never look back or over your spiritual life until repair is so costly and so damaging and so much has been done that it's too late for you to make the necessary repairs and that would just make the devil so happy. Well, let's just discount that idea. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, God wants you to be an effective servant in his kingdom. So check out your iron axe head of spiritual service. Make sure everything is okay in your personal relationship with the Lord. Make sure you're not swinging away with just a wooden stick without an axe head attached. Make any needed repairs. Get back in the game and keep that cutting edge. Now, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, Jesus is extending to you his personal invitation of his mercy and his grace. And we're praying that you will respond to him. Even today would be great, wouldn't it? We pray that you will know this morning, without a doubt, 
that Jesus went to the cross and he died for your sins and that he, he was buried, <coughs> excuse me, in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he arose from the dead, victorious and triumphant, all for me and you. And he offers his ultimate sacrifice of his own life's blood on the cross as the full payment for our sins. So if that's a decision you have not already made, finally come to grips with in your heart, then I urge you to make this decision this morning, even before you leave this property, and that you be brave enough to share that with somebody. The Bible says in Romans 10, if you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. It's with your heart you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so I'm offering, in God's name, I'm offering that invitation. And we're going to pray that you will respond as we continue our worship and our praise for God. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the power. Thank you for the inspiration we receive. And Lord, we thank you for those that have stayed true to their call in your service and in the work of the kingdom. We thank you for those that have been true to you and have been active in the service of the kingdom. But Lord, for one reason or another, they they have, they have walked away or they've maybe just stopped serving in a fervent way and, and, and they, they long to be restored. May this be the morning of restoration for them. And Lord, for that one who has heard the message again and understands that you went to the cross and shed your blood and gave your life that we might be saved, that our sin might be covered and that we might be assured of a place with, in heaven with you but they've never yet really bowed at the cross and said, I accept that free gift. May this be their day, their banner day of acceptance of Christ. May they take on the cutting edge and may they be involved in the work of the kingdom of God. And for all these things, we're so careful to praise you and to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.